Hey everybody, I'm Pastor Joshua Sullivan at Holy Cross Lutheran Church, answering your questions here on Ask the Pastor ATP. Today's question goes like this. Dear Pastor, what is the position of the Lutheran Church towards the Roman doctrine of the everlasting virginity of Mary? All right, so the belief that Mary was perpetually a virgin, a virgin all throughout her life, or as we say in the Latin, semper virgo, uh, this isn't just a Roman Catholic dogma. It's one that goes back into the history of the early church. For instance, Athanasius of Alexandria, in book two of his work, Orations Against the Arians, calls her ever virgin. Uh, Ambrose of Milan writes in his 63rd letter that Mary did not seek the consolation of being able to bear another son. And Epiphanius uh, calls her ever-virgin multiple times in his Panarion. However, the chief defender of uh, Mary's perpetual virginity in antiquity was, without a doubt, Jerome. And the arguments that Jerome laid out in his treatise against Helvidius, those arguments became the standard go-to arguments uh, for defending Mary's perpetual virginity not just within the Roman church, but also among Luther and then Lutheran reformers after him. In fact, the most widely known statement of Luther on this subject comes in the Latin text of the Small Called Articles. Article 1, uh, paragraph 4, he writes that Christ was born of the pure, holy, and always virgin Mary, the Semper Virgo Mary. Years before that, in 1523, he had written in his treatise uh, that Jesus Christ was born a Jew, these words. He said, we should be satisfied simply to hold that she remained a virgin after the birth of Christ because scripture does not state or indicate that she later lost her virginity. We certainly need not be so terribly afraid that someone will demonstrate out of his own head apart from scripture that she did not remain a virgin. But the scripture stops with this, that she was a virgin before and at the birth of Christ, for up to this point, God had need of her virginity in order to give us the promised blessed seed without sin. So Luther himself believed that Mary was Semper Virgo, perpetually a virgin. In a sermon on John 2, he touched upon the issue of Jesus' brothers, uh, stating that they were either cousins or half-brothers begotten from Joseph from a previous marriage. Luther is also recorded in a table talk as having said, The church leaves this to us and has not decided. Nevertheless, what happened afterwards shows quite strongly that Mary remained a virgin. For after she had perceived that she was the mother of the Son of God, she didn't think she should become the mother of a human child and adhered to this vow. Luther wasn't the only of the evangelical reformers that defended Mary's perpetual virginity. Martin Chemnitz uh, defends Mary's perpetual virginity in his uh, Harmony of the Four Gospels. And Chemnitz uh, uses the three main arguments laid out by Jerome in his treatise against Helvidius in the early church. The first of those arguments uh, comes from the conjunction until that Matthew uses in Matthew 125. Uh, he argues that the word until doesn't always mean that something which doesn't happen will eventually happen. A chief example of this uh, is if we consider uh, that same word until in Matthew 28, verse 20, when Jesus says, Lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. So the question is, is Jesus with us until the end of the age, and then he will no longer be with us after that point? Uh, 
Well, of course not. Another example is Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Will Christ stop sitting at the right hand of the power of God once every enemy is destroyed? Well, of course not. Chemnitz writes, The wording of the text does not intend that those things happen later. From these conjunctions, before and until, therefore, one cannot conclude that Mary had intercourse with Joseph after her delivery and that she bore children for him. The evangelists use those conjunctions because it is very important to our faith to know that Mary had no intercourse with a man before the conception of Christ and after his conception until his birth. If someone asks about the time following, Jerome's answer is best. We believe that God was born through the genitals of a virgin because we read after the birth, Mary did not lie with Joseph. We do not believe that she bore children by him because we do not read that. Jerome's is a good argument. If Joseph was moved by such reverence because of the angel's story in a dream to not know Mary until she had given birth, what kind of emotions would he have felt when he heard the shepherds, Simeon and Anna, saying such things, uh, such divine things about the child? After all, it is written, his father and his mother were surprised at those things which he told them. That's the first argument for Semper Virgo, the word until. The second defense of Semper Virgo then comes from Luke 2, verse 7, where St. Luke calls Jesus Mary's firstborn. And the word firstborn does not necessarily imply subsequent children. If we go to Exodus 13, 13, the Lord says, All the firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. And this was because every firstborn of man and beast belonged to the Lord. And he also says this in Numbers chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. Again, Chemnitz. In the law, when people were commanded to offer their firstborn to the Lord, the meaning is not that one should wait until another is born after the first. The firstborn is so called not only because others are born after him, but because no other one was born before him. That is, although he may have no other siblings after him, he is still called firstborn. For this reason, Christ is called, with the addition of an article, that firstborn. So, even the title firstborn doesn't necessarily imply subsequent children. The third argument, then, for Semper Virgo comes from the word brothers. Both in the Old and New Testament, the word brother has a wide range of meanings. Uh, men can be brothers in a natural way, like Cain and Abel are brothers, or like uh, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, are brothers. Men can also be brothers by race. Uh, the Lord calls fellow Hebrews, both men and women, your brothers, in Deuteronomy uh, 15, 12. Men can also be brothers uh, by family relation, that is, by kindred, uh, just as Abraham's nephew, Lot, is called Abraham's brother in Genesis 14, 14, and 14, 16. And then finally, uh, men can be called brothers by love, such as David and Jonathan in 2 Samuel 1, 26, uh, and Jesus, the way he calls his disciples, his brothers in John 10, 17. And then, of course, Christians are brothers according to 1 Corinthians 5, 11. Defenders of Mary's perpetual virginity, of her, the Semper Virgo, they understand brothers and sisters in the Gospels as being brothers by blood kinship, cousins. Now, these are the three main arguments for Mary's perpetual virginity, but we have to note that these aren't airtight by any means. Because sometimes, Scripture uses the conjunction until, as we often do, uh, that that which doesn't happen 
up until a certain time does in fact happen after a certain time. Uh, examples of this are Genesis 19.22, Leviticus 12.4, and Acts 25.16. Uh, the same thing goes with the word firstborn. Firstborn doesn't necessarily imply subsequent children, but it also doesn't remove the possibility. And the firstborn is simply the one who is born first of a woman. Uh, and then with the word brothers, just because the word brothers has a wide semantic range doesn't mean that that, uh, that cousins, that, that blood kindred, is simply uh, necessarily what the Gospels mean there. A plain reading of Scripture I don't think, leads anyone to the certain conclusion that Mary remained a virgin all throughout her life. And it's for this reason, then, that Semper Virgo isn't an article of faith that must be believed. Nor do Luther's words in the Small Called Articles impose that belief upon Lutheran pastors because it's the 1580 German edition, not the Latin edition, of the Book of Concord, which is authoritative and binding on Lutheran clergy that we, that we uh, take our ordination vows to. The best course of action, I think, is laid out by Basil of Caesarea in the uh, uh, mid to late 400s. He notes that Mary, uh, that if, rather, Mary didn't remain a virgin after Christ's birth, that wouldn't affect the Christian faith one bit. And Luther makes comments to that effect as well. Mary's virginity was necessary before Christ's conception and after uh, Christ's conception and before his birth, but it wasn't necessary afterwards. Basil plainly tells us uh, that what happened after the birth of Christ simply doesn't need to be investigated. He adds, But since the lovers of Christ, that is the faithful, do not allow themselves to hear that the mother of God ceased at a given moment to be a virgin, we consider their testimony sufficient. Basil leaves the Semper Virgo as something that may be believed out of reverence, both for the mother of God and for our Lord Jesus Christ. But really, his is the best course of action. Mary's perpetual virginity, it's an ancient belief held in the church, but it doesn't affect the Christian faith in any way, shape, or form. So the Semper Virgo can be believed, or it can be not believed. Uh, but Christians shouldn't disparage and attack one another over holding to the Semper Virgo or denying it. And that's simply because Scripture isn't clear on the matter, and the matter doesn't affect the Christian faith. Thanks for the question. We'll catch you next time on ATP.